fall until the podcast of the dragon comes to your device. Hey everybody, my name is Morgan. You might know me as the Grey Warder on Twitter and Discord. Welcome to the 24th episode of Podcast of the Dragon. It's hard to say that you've thoroughly explored a book if you don't spend at least one episode looking at the person that it's named after. So all aboard! Today, we're going to go for a ride on Rand's crazy train and engage in a thoughtful examination of his mental health issues. Because, let's face it, crazy is a simple word that can't begin to explain what's behind the dragon's deep distress. I was 15 years old when I started experiencing mania for the first time. I suffer from bipolar 2 disorder, which is considered the less severe kind, I guess because it doesn't manifest with psychotic episodes. But it comes with other issues, one of which is that it often goes hand in hand with something called rapid cycling. When I first got my actual diagnosis at 22, I did a fair amount of research because knowledge was power in learning how to cope with a mental illness now that I had some idea of what was really going on with me, but that was half my life ago. In the intervening years, I haven't made it a point to stay informed, and I actually thought that rapid cycling meant this constant switching of moods that I had, where I would be happy one second and upset the next, and my mood was changing so often that I was on an emotional roller coaster, like the feelings that I was having were what made me so insane, and the wild thoughts that I had were just a corollary, which is a word I misused three times in two episodes. I was using it when I meant correlation, so I wanted to make sure to use it right. Those thoughts were a corollary that were driven by the feelings that were so out of control. And it was only in doing research for this episode that I've learned that, no, rapid cycling is actually a term for when, rather than having only a single manic and depressive episode in a year, you instead have several, which I still suffer from, but my issue of having my mood change 50 million times a second, which is thankfully pretty well medicated, is actually something called a mixed episode. I have a notebook from that year, my sophomore year in high school, that's full of these short paragraphs that are just basically bursting with crazy. And mostly it's like teenage melodrama, but paranoid and turned up to 11. You know, adults are out to get me, and nobody understands, and you can't trust parents, and you can't trust the world. I'd have a mood swing a minute and write these frantic thoughts, choppy expressions of what I was thinking and feeling, and also song lyrics, so many song lyrics, and just also laugh at the absurdity of it all because it was so ridiculously insane. And part of me thought that I was making it up because I was a teenager, and teenagers are dramatic. And so I fed the darkness, because if it got bad enough, it might be real, and if it was real enough, I might be able to fight it, and if I could fight it, I might be able to survive. And it was really, really funny. I was 15 years old when I first read The Dragon Reborn. I've said in previous episodes how much I identified with Rand as he is in The Great Hunt, 
because of how sad and full of dread and loneliness that he is. And I really understood the sense of weight that he is carrying, that feeling of impending doom. The way R.J. portrays the burden that is this knowledge of being a man who can channel and the understanding of what that means and the dread that it manifests within Rand really spoke to me. I remember how it felt to identify with his sense of loss and his hopelessness. It's much more painful to come in close and look at the mania and the crazy thoughts and just the general frantic energy that is the Rand of the Dragon Reborn and remember how identifying with that felt. Because for me... At least before I started taking medication and employing mood stabilizers to kind of reel it in, mania often looked a lot like Rand looks in The Dragon Reborn. People have an idea of mania as being just these buoyant highs, and it's like that for a lot of people. But if you have lots of mixed episodes where your mood changes frequently, your mania doesn't manifest as much like joy and buoyancy and being on top of the world because it's mixing with anxiety and depression and every single other emotion that you could possibly invent, it ends up being the kind of mania that makes you look real fucking crazy. And that's the kind of mania that I deal with now and dealt with in a much more severe form as a teenager. And it's the kind of mania that looks a lot like Rand does in The Dragon Reborn. And it's not a good place to be. I could identify with the weight of Rant's fear about his encroaching madness because losing my mind has always been my greatest fear. Or, it became my greatest fear. I watched a terrifying TV movie in the 80s called The Day After, which is not the same as The Day After Tomorrow, which came out in the aughts and is a fucking badass movie about climate change. This movie was about nuclear holocaust and it scared the shit out of me for a long time. The idea that there might be secret death missiles that could hit us at any time and kill us in our sleep, that terrorized me when I was 10 or 11 years old. And then once I started dealing with the mania and the mixed episodes and the rapid cycling, I began to realize that, no, no, death isn't nearly as scary as being crazy. I've heard complaints that Rand isn't in the Dragon Reborn enough. But RJ has shown us everything we need to see already. He has developed the character sufficiently. By the beginning of Book 3, he's declared himself the Dragon. We've seen his internal struggles as far as him finally getting to the point of accepting that, yes, in fact, he is not from the Two Rivers. He is far enough along. And now, for the story to really progress, what he needs to do is to fulfill a major prophecy so that not only do we know that he's the dragon, and his personal cadre of friends and followers know that he's the dragon, but everybody will fucking know. So all Rand needs to do at this point for book three is to walk to Tyr off-screen, because there's not a lot that he can bring to the plot. And, despite the name of it, truthfully, the dragon reborn is about Egwene, Perrin, and Matt. RJ does want to show us a bit of Rand, but it's almost... Rather than character development, character degradation. Because he seems manic. He's borderline psychotic. And it's like, here, let's give you a chance to see what the taint has done. You know, let's develop a little bit of his crazy. We've brought him along as a person. We've developed his character arc. Let's see him fall apart a little bit. But I feel like, honestly, Rand's mental state is less about what the taint has done to him 
and more about what trauma has done. Trauma is the foundation that the taint builds upon. And there are so many things influencing Rand's mental state at the beginning of The Dragon Reborn. I'm going to equate the taint's effect on his mind as somehow similar to whatever is biochemically wrong in my brain that makes my feelings broken. I, I say that my feelings are broken because I have a mood disorder, but really it's the valve that regulates my feelings that's broken. It's either constantly leaking, or else its hair trigger in the slightest turn makes them gush out like a fire hose, or it turns on for no reason. That's what's really broken, is the ability for them to regulate. And it is not inaccurate to think of the taint as something biochemically wrong. If a man who channels has his body affected by the taint, whatever goes on physiologically that eventually causes necrosis, then of course his brain suffers a physical effect as well. The whole physiology is changed, and that would be a biochemical change. So that is influencing Rand's mental state, as is his trauma, as is his conflict with Moraine and their difficult and very contentious relationship, as is the fact that they've been waiting in the mountains for four months, and he's so frustrated with it. He's also experiencing chronic pain in his side. He hasn't been sleeping very well. He's suffering from social isolation and the weight of his fate and the kind of thoughts that all of that brings forth because he's got a lot of horrible shit to dwell on, and he's been dwelling on it. And the taint and his trauma are really beyond the scope of what I want to explore here, except to say that they play a huge part in his thought processes and how he does or does not cope. There's a reason that Rand is starting to slip, and they're both a big part of that. When it comes to his social isolation, he officially became an other at the end of the Great Hunt. When the Shinerans knelt to him, it made him feel very awkward, but I don't think that he understood what would happen. Being Lord Rand was difficult, but maybe he thought being the dragon would mean he finally had to stop resisting and settle into that role once people swore fealty to him. In fact, that makes sense. He resented being pushed into leadership and fancy coats and the persona of Lord Rand, because for him all of that went hand in hand with the dragon and being used and what the Aes Sedai meant for him. But the Dragon Reborn starts, and we see that if Rand thought being the dragon meant simply shouldering leadership and wearing fancy clothes and living in the role and being the embodiment of Lord Rand without complaining about it, he was so wrong. In Chapter 2, we see from Perrin's point of view, after he has brought Moraine's agent, the Tinker Woman Leia, into camp. As Leia goes into Moraine's hut, Rand comes out, and the Shinerans get to their feet. It says, The Shinerans bowed as one, heads held up but hands to knees. Lord Dragon, Uno called, we stand ready, honor to serve. Uno, who could hardly say a sentence without a curse, spoke now with the deepest respect. The others echoed him, honor to serve. Masima, who saw ill in everything and whose eyes now shone with utter devotion, Regan, all of them awaiting a command if it were Rand's pleasure to give one. From the slope, Rand stared down at them a moment, then turned and disappeared into the trees. And a little further on, it says, Rand's much smaller hut was a little lower down, well hidden in the trees, away from all the rest. He had tried living down among the other men, but their constant awe drove him off. He kept to himself now, too much to himself to parents, thinking, This is just so shitty. 
When Rand protested them, swearing to him, he's like, your oaths are to Inktar and to Agomar. But when they're like, hey, your rebirth broke all bonds, he accepts their oaths, and he declares himself, and then he probably naively assumes that he can have a similar relationship with them to what Agomar or Inktar has, not realizing this isn't like you being promoted to captain or even general, Rand. You're not going to be able to just camp out among the men the way Inktar did and sleep and eat among them and have a friendly, if appropriately formal, relationship with them. You're not the captain. You're not the general. You're Jesus. And these are guys that he kind of felt less than or self-conscious around. They're fucking hardcore. They run in armor, and they're better swordsmen. They're better at everything. They're older. They're wiser. They were fighting the shadow when Rand thought that Trollocs were stories, and so having them look at him that way is so difficult. And they're being cruel by putting him on this pedestal and pushing him away with their awe. And in some ways, I think it's probably worse than if he felt separate because they were uncomfortable with a male channeler. To Rand, that would be logical and understandable. There is nothing understandable to him about lifelong bordermen standing in awe of a dumbass shepherd. I don't know how Rand could bring himself to begin to empathize with the Shinerans and be able to see where they're coming from. You know, even if he had the emotional bandwidth to try to imagine, these men come from lands doomed to fall under the shadow, and they have lived their whole lives knowing that. You grew up, and a year ago you thought Trollocs weren't real. These men have assumed that they will all eventually fall to the blight, the blight that advances every year, and they have lived now to see that the Chosen One, the one who was prophesied to save them from the shadow, is not only reborn in their lifetime, but is amongst them, so that they know him. And not just that, but because he's among them, they can see that he's not entirely an asshole. He's a pretty decent and respectable person. He's a bit of an uncouth douchebag because he's a southerner, and they have very strong standards of propriety in the way one conducts oneself in Shinar. But honestly, he's not that bad, all things considered. He may be a Southlander, but he is one that is decent and worth following. They didn't do too badly with Rand, in much the same way the Aiel lucked into a wetlander that is decent and worth following. Rand makes an effort, and he cares about people. The overwhelming majority of Rand's companions, this small cadre of people, are people he can't talk to, people he can't relate to now because they won't relate to him, and it's very alienating. And fortunately for him, he at least does have a handful of people who more or less treat him the same. Perrin, Loyal, and Min are there for support and for friendship. Lon is there to train him and give him advice and generally just be unimpressed by him. Lon, as far as his relationship with Rand, at least until later on when he gets more Darth Randy, he never changes except to grow friendlier and have more respect for him. And Rand finds that really grounding. It helps that Lon is unimpressed and is willing to rebuke him and basically not treat him like he's a bomb, and also not treat him like they're there, Rand. He's just very pragmatic, like, yeah, this is life, this is how it is, this is your duty. Now suck it up, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, hold your sword in front of you with both hands, let's try again. And he's not very sympathetic, he's just like, it is what it is. Lon has an expectation of Rand, and not just an expectation, but this blanket assumption that Rand will do his duty. There's faith and confidence in him. 
and that's very sustaining because it's just so quietly present. Lon is the stoic dad wearing the Taishar Manetherin t-shirt, and it's very good for Rand. I think in a lot of ways Lon is one of the most understated and sustaining relationships that he has. And then there's Moraine, and that relationship is complicated. Moraine is kind of reaping in book three what she sowed in book two. There was a lot of anger toward her and Rand, resentment, confusion, and just bitter hurt feelings. All throughout book two, he's mad at her. He felt ignored and abandoned, desperately wanting to talk to her, and she was deliberately holding him at arm's length during the beginning chapters of The Great Hunt. I discussed this in both episodes 10 and 11. This was a real issue, and it very much negatively affected their relationship. He was so hurt and put off by it, and felt so pushed and manipulated. And then at the end, he basically maneuvered into declaring himself because she forced him to a place where he felt like he had no choice. And she's like, I'm here, and this is what's going on. Everybody knows you fought Baalzimon in the sky at Falma. You need to decide, because pictures of you are going all over the world now, and you need me now more than ever. And he's like, I don't fucking need you. I don't want you. He's really unhappy to see her, you know, and it's kind of like the subtext is, I did need you and you weren't there for me, so why should I want you now? I got along okay without you when you basically cut me loose and didn't give me the support that I was asking for when I desperately needed it, so how about fuck off? And it's not like she didn't earn that. So... We start book three, and we learn right away that Rand and Moraine have been arguing for four months. At the start of chapter two, Perrin and the Shinerans have brought Moraine's agent and delivered her to Moraine, and then he goes and sits with Min and Loyal. Rand comes out, and the Shinerans are like, Lord Dragon, we're ready, and he's like, oh, fuck, God, I'm going somewhere else. And then Min tells Perrin they've been arguing all day this time. Perrin goes after Rand to check on him, because he tells Min, after they argue, Rand always needs somebody to talk to. And he's like, you and Maureen were arguing again about the same thing. And Rand's like, we always argue about the same thing. We argue about the dragon sworn. Rand proclaimed himself, which he would never have done without her putting him in a position where he felt like he had no choice. And it immediately lit this fire. Thousands and thousands of people declare for him, all across Almuth Plain and Eridoman and even into Terrabon. And rather than doing what he feels was the right or responsible thing, Rand and his tiny crew of people slunk off to winter in the mountains, leaving behind what was basically chaos in a blender. And the level of turmoil boiling between these two countries and the plain between them makes the anarchy that he left behind in Kyrian look like child's play. And at least what happened in Kyrian, he can be like, well, that wasn't my fault, you know. Even if his presence set it off, it wasn't like he did anything that could be said, oh, this was a cause, this was an effect, because I specifically did this thing on purpose. But here, on purpose, he proclaimed himself, and the effect from that cause was that all of these people declared themselves for the dragon. It says at the very end of the Great Hunt, By ship and horse the story spread by merchant wagon and man on foot, told and retold, changing yet always alike at the heart, to Eridoman and Terabon and beyond, of signs and portents in the sky above Falma, and men proclaimed themselves for the dragon, and other men struck them down, and were struck down in turn. So, 
There's this enormous shit show that they have left behind, and Rand's like, I'm responsible for those people. They've all declared for me. And the grown-ups are like, no, we're going to slink away. There's not very many of us. We're going to hide out and winter in the mountains. There's nothing we can do about this mess. Which is true. And because it's early spring at this point, I'm assuming that Grendel has started to take advantage of the shitstorm that's going on in Eridomen. Either she has or she will be soon, depending upon where her position was in the boar. We know that Samael, Robin, and Balal were released in either late fall or early winter and took up their places in Ilion, Camelon, and Tyr. So if Grendel got out a little bit later, or even roughly around the same time, at some point, presumably after Rand declares himself and everything ignites, she finds her spot in Natrin's barrow. And we know that what she starts to do is to begin to cause this fuckery between Rodolai Duralda and the different bands of Dragonsworn by pretending to send him orders from King Alsalom that are strategically nonsensical. And that's what she's choosing to do to keep herself comfortable. She can't really rule in Aradomen or on Almuth Plain because it's too chaotic, but if she can influence and direct the chaos, she can still have all the power, even if she's technically not ruling. Clever, clever Grendel. As Rand is venting to Perrin about the dragon sworn and his feeling of dereliction of duty, that he owes these people something because they declared for him, it says, You think I like it? Perrin swung his head in irritation. You take whatever she says to you, Rand grated. You never stand up to her. Much good it has done you standing up to her. You have argued all winter and we have sat here like lumps all winter. Because she is right. Rand laughed again, that chilling laugh. The light burn me, she is right. They are all split up into little groups all over the plain, all across Terabon and Eridomen. If I join any one of those, the White Cloaks and the Domani army and the Terraboners will be on top of them like a duck on a beetle. Perrin almost laughed himself in confusion. If you agree with her, why in the light do you argue all the time? Because I have to do something, or I'll, I'll burst like a rotted melon. Do what? If you listen to what she says... Rand gave him no chance to say they would sit there forever. Moraine says. Moraine says. Rand jerked erect, squeezing his head between his hands. Moraine has something to say about everything. Moraine says I mustn't go to the men who are dying in my name. Moraine says I'll know what to do next because the pattern will force me to it. Moraine says. But she never says how I'll know. Oh no, she doesn't know that. His hands fell to his sides, and he turned to Perrin, head tilted and eyes narrowed. Sometimes I feel as if Moraine is putting me through my paces like a fancy Terran stallion doing his steps. Do you ever feel that? Perrin scrubbed a hand through his shaggy hair. I... Whatever's pushing us or pulling us, I know who the enemy is, Rand. Balsamon, Rand said softly. And I must face him, Perrin. His eyes closed in a grimace, half smile, half pain. Light help me. Half the time I want it to happen now, to be over and done with, and the other half. How many times can I manage? Light pulls at me so. What if I can't? What if I... The ground trembled. Rand? Perrin said worriedly. Rand shivered. Despite the chill, there was sweat on his face. His eyes were still shut tight. Oh, Light, he groaned. It pulls so. Suddenly the ground heaved beneath Perrin, and the valley echoed with a vast rumble. It seemed as if the ground was jerked out from under his feet. He fell, or the earth leaped up to meet him. The valley shook as though a vast hand had reached down from the sky to wrench it out of the land. 
He clung to the ground while it tried to bounce him like a ball. Pebbles in front of his eyes leaped and tumbled and dust rose in waves. Rant! His bellow was lost in the grumbling roar. So, this channeling event that Rand is engaging in right here makes a bunch of stuff happen that kind of kicks off the plot, or at least it aids in the plot kicking off. It makes a new exit out of the camp, on one side of this narrow valley that Perrin describes as even more easily defendable than the bowl-shaped valley that they're camped in. But because it doesn't have a water source, they didn't establish their base there, and only Rand goes there after he argues with Moraine. But Rand having this channeling event, this earthquake, causes a break in the cliffside that you can get a horse up, and so Rand escapes that way. And it also lets the shadow spawn know exactly where they are, because that amount of channeling, Moraine describes it as basically a beacon for any murderal that are out and about. And we know that there are shadow spawn in the mountains because the wolves have been trying to tell Perrin about it. And so if the shadow spawn are quartering around trying to find them by sending ravens to look, Rand just sort of shot up the flare and was like, here we are. We're also getting a bit of foreshadowing as far as the issues that Rand is having with channeling, and particularly as he will struggle with them later on this same night when the Trollocs attack. And there's a bit here where Perrin says to him, hey, Moraine is not the enemy, however fucking frustrating she is. Balsamon is the one who is the enemy. And I think here we have a rare case of double Taviran. I think Perrin and Rand work on each other in this scene here. Rand says to Perrin, you never stand up to her. And then Perrin's like, you know, you've been standing up to her this whole time and we're still sitting here. What the fuck good has it done you? But the moment that Rand vanishes, Perrin is standing up to Moraine. Like, standing up to her so much that she's like, what the fuck, I've got to deal with bullshit from this one now? And since standing up to her isn't doing any good, as Perrin points out to him, I think a lot plays into Rand's choice to flee, including a very bad mental state, but I'm wondering if Perrin's push of, you're standing up is useless, we're still here, really helped Rand's choice along. And I might feel bad for Moraine, having to spend four months dealing with a dangerous and mentally frayed young man but I feel like the majority of her issues with Rand are her own fault. And I broke that down in episode 10, and especially in episode 11, where I wonder what else could she have done. All of her choices are rooted in logic, and basically it is one of those things where almost every choice she made could have gone wrong. You know, everything she does is wrong, and every position that she was in, a person sitting over here could be like, well, that was fucking stupid. And so it's easy to judge her, because she's doing such a terrible job in dealing with him, but in her place, you might have done the same thing if your logic brought you to the same place, because all of the choices that she has to pick from are shitty. But I don't know. Speaking as someone who has watched so many adults deal so badly with adolescence, my sympathy is limited. The first three rules for dealing with teens are to understand that you no longer get to dictate all the terms. Accept what you cannot change, and pick your battles. And while Rand turned 20 over the winter and is no longer technically a teenager, he's still an adolescent male that Moraine instinctively condescends to. Not necessarily in a patronizing way, but in a I-know-more-than-you-ever-will-and-I-don't-have-time-for-your-bullshit-do-what-I-say way, which isn't much better. Rand signed no contracts, and she is not his commanding officer, however much she might envision herself in that role based upon her age and experience. 
and I think that it's very difficult for someone from an institutionalized atmosphere to deal with a mix of teenage Two Rivers Taviran, a triple whammy of obstinacy. Maureen is a soldier. She trained in more or less the equivalent of a service academy and is from a place that is kind of a mix of cloister-slash-military organization-slash-government organization. There's a lot of hierarchy, and central to being a soldier is obeying whoever's over you. And a lot of Moraine's struggle is like, yo, I'm the one in fucking charge, and nobody's listening to me, and it's bullshit. But Moraine is paying the price for her choices. Regardless of whatever her reasoning was behind how she operated, she did the wrong thing. He needed support that she did not provide. Not just like he was sitting there and she should have provided support, but he actively sought out support that she refused to give him. She bushwhacked him with the Amralin and with Varen, and they were like, Oh, you're the Dragon Reborn. Let us give you all this information. Let's push you off balance. They were dicks, and she was part of this party of dicks acting dickishly. And then she shows up at the end of the Great Hunt and is like, I'm here to advise you. You really need me. Obviously, you really need me. Look at all this shit that just went down. And he's like, how about fuck you? And I can see Moraine's frustration after four months of butting heads thinking, why the fuck is he arguing with me if he knows that I'm right? Why is he being such a little asshole? And I think it's partly just because he's jumping out of his own skin. It's like he says, he has to do something or he'll burst. He'll burst. And Rand is not the type of person who would ever punch down. Another person, a shitbag who was the dragon, would be shitty to one of the Shinerans. He would be an asshole to a friend. He would do something cruel to someone. You know, Joffrey Baratheon would be shitty to everyone else. But Rand just doesn't do that. And so he has to argue with or push against the one person that I think he feels can really take it. He's like, I'm going to fight with the one person who can fight back. The one person who deserves to be fought with. The one person who didn't care about my feelings, so why should I care about hers? He's really angry, Mom. He's angry at you, and he thinks you asked for it. He's also suffering from insomnia, so he's half asleep all the time. He's complaining to Perrin about dreams. He's already being haunted in his dreams by Baylal and Ashamael, one or the other or both. And he's got chronic pain with what's going on in his side, and it all adds together to extreme mental strain. And I'm wondering if fighting with Moraine is all that's keeping him from losing his shit. And if it's the way he gets his frustration out and it's keeping him from losing his shit more than he's already lost it, maybe that's just the price she has to pay. And considering that she's reaping what she sowed, I don't feel sorry for her. She is my favorite and I love her, but I don't feel bad for her in this instance because when you fuck up, you fuck up and you need to own it. And I said I rarely own it. Even good ice that I like more rain. Put yourself in Rand's shoes. He has chronic abdominal pain in his left side, which as someone who has chronic abdominal pain in her left side, let me assure you, it's miserable. Mine is from scar tissue from radiation. It doesn't always hurt, but every once in a while it will flare up because your guts move around and occasionally they'll work their way into the scarring. And people who have never had uteruses won't get it, but it's like having the world's most horrible menstrual cramps in one single spot in my side. Fortunately, I don't have to feel it all the time, it only flares up occasionally. And I just imagine that Rand's side is like my horrible side pain, only worse, and always. And that's really terrible, because abdominal pain is no fucking joke. 
and healing isn't working, and Rand doesn't have access to Percocet. So he's not doing so great on the chronic pain front. And he's got chronic PTSD as well. He's not sleeping. And he's terrified. Because the job and the fate that await the Dragon Reborn are terrifying. He's unqualified, because nobody's fucking qualified for that job. He's doomed to die. And anybody who's like, well, he didn't die at the end, that doesn't matter. That is irrelevant, regardless of whether the Aelfin told him if you would live, you must die. Rand is doomed to die. If I had been in his shoes and gone through the doorway in tear and the snakes had told me that, I'd be thinking, thanks for nothing, assholes. It is not the sort of response that would cheer me or give me hope for my future. Escaping doom by ghoulishly pushing Moradin off the body he already ripped off from someone else and driving away in stolen property with no thought as to who the original owner might be is not an escape Rand could have puzzled out the way he puzzled out the cleansing, and that means it's extra and beyond what anything can be reasonably hoped for or expected. And because of that, I always go with Rand is doomed to die. Because that's what Rand thinks. It's what we see throughout the series. And at this point, where he has declared himself but not gone through the redstone doorway to hear true answers, he can't have any hope at all. Soldiers will tell you that to cope while they're at war. They accept that they've already died, so they can do the job they have to do. I think in The Dragon Reborn, Rand is at the stage of a soldier where he knows that he's doomed to die, but he's struggling to accept it with equanimity. And if that weren't enough on the pile, he has almost no support. What he's got with him now are these dumbasses who worship him. And it's like, the Shinerans are good soldiers. They're good people to have with him. But look at it from his perspective. You're a fucking idiot who was shepherding sheep a year ago. People are treating you like you're a god and acting like everything you do is perfect and right. And from that perspective, you're looking at these people and you're like, they're dumbasses. They're dumbasses. What the fuck is wrong with them that they would think that I am capable of any kind of greatness? How can they act like I'm more important than anyone else? And if Rand thinks the Shinerans are Coplin fool idiots or whatever the Two Rivers equivalent of a dumbass is, can you blame him? I would question the sanity and intelligence of anyone who worshipfully assumed a 20-year-old could do no wrong, especially when that 20-year-old was me. So their swords are great, but I would take no emotional comfort from the Shinerans where I and Rand's shoes. Then he's got Min, who is wonderful and supportive in intuitive ways, but she has no power to really help him. All she can do is just be nice to him, and that's great, but it's not helpful when it comes to trying to imagine fighting the Dark One. He's got Loyal, who's just like, you should do what the Aes Sedai say, Rand, because then you won't piss them off. And Perrin, who isn't standing up to Moraine at this point and basically avoids her at all costs. Lon is her warder, so as positive as Rand's relationship is with him, Lon is Switzerland when it comes to his Aes Sedai and the dragon. And as far as Moraine goes, why would he think that she would be helpful? She fucking ditched him. He spent the last book mostly disconnected from others with occasional moments relating to his friends. In this book, any connections are tenuous and nothing really helps. All of that is shitty. But then he can't even channel. Not really. 
His number of successful uses of the one power in the great hunt were maybe three or four. Honestly, I almost only consider his time of deliberately using the power for the portal stones as being super successful because they were actual deliberate uses. He used them for some intended purpose as opposed to grabbing Sidene and throwing a weird random fire thing at Machin Shin as it's oozing out of the way gate, or just filling himself with the power and hurling it at Baalzaman, or he grabs it and just holds it and fights him with a regular sword. I almost feel like the two times that he channeled with the portal stones are the only ones that really count because he actually did something purposefully. But regardless, he has no skill at all. He doesn't know what he's doing. So he has this out-of-control channeling event and parents being bounced on the ground and he finally yells at Rand to stop and it stops. It says, Rand was staring at nothing now, chest heaving as if he had run ten miles. This had never happened before, nor anything remotely like it. Rand, parents said carefully. What? Rand still seemed to be looking into a far distance. It is always there, calling to me, pulling at me. Sidene. Sometimes I can't stop myself from reaching out for it. He made a motion of plucking something out of the air and transferred his stare to his closed fist. I can feel the taint even before I touch it, like a thin coat of vileness trying to hide the light. It turns my stomach, but I cannot help myself. I cannot. Only sometimes I reach out and it's like trying to catch air. His empty hand sprang open and he gave a bitter laugh. What if that happens when the last battle comes? What if I reach out and catch nothing? Well, you caught something that time, Parent said hoarsely. What were you doing? Rand looked around as if seeing things for the first time. The fallen leather leaf and the broken branches. There was, Parent realized, surprisingly little damage. He had expected gaping rents in the earth. The wall of trees looked almost whole. I did not mean to do this. It was as if I tried to open a tap and instead pulled the whole tap out of the barrel. It, it filled me. I had to send it somewhere before it burned me up, but I, I did not mean this. Most of our rant time in this book is from parents' point of view in the first few chapters, but R.J. makes really great use of that to show us the issues that he's having. He is really uncomfortable. He's very scared in his role. We see his frustration and how it's becoming serious anger. He had anger issues in The Great Hunt, but for the most part, he was pretty contained. And he was grim and sad and kind of down on himself about being a channeler. But there wasn't a ton of rage. But in The Dragon Reborn, we're getting all of that. We're getting misery and hopelessness and anger, too. And we're also getting our first good look at Rand's self-loathing. The Trollocs attack them that night, and Rand struggles again with channeling because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. You get the battle from Perrin's point of view, and once it's finished, Min tells him that Rand's out in the dark sulking and won't talk to anybody. And it says, Rand was seated on the ground just beyond the light of the burning trees, with his back against the trunk of a stunted oak. Staring at nothing, he had his arms wrapped around himself, hands under his red coat as if feeling the cold. He did not appear to notice their approach. Min sat down beside him, but he did not move even when she laid a hand on his arm. Even here, Perrin smelled blood, and not only his own. Rand, Perrin began, but Rand cut him off. Do you know what I did during the fight? Still staring into the distance, Rand addressed the knight. Nothing. Nothing useful. 
At first, when I reached out for the true source, I couldn't touch it, couldn't grasp it. It kept sliding away. Then when I finally had hold of it, I was going to burn them all, burn all the Trollocs and Fades, and all I could do was set fire to some trees. He shook with silent laughter, then stopped with a pained grimace. Sidene filled me till I thought I'd explode like fireworks. I had to channel it somewhere, get rid of it before it burned me up, and I found myself thinking about pulling the mountain down and burying the Trollocs. I almost tried. That was my fight, not against the Trollocs, against myself, to keep from burying us all under the mountain. Min gave Perrin a pained look, as if asking for help. We dealt with them, Rand, Perrin said. He shivered, thinking of all the wounded men down below, and the dead. Better that than the mountain down on top of us. We didn't need you. Rand's head fell back against the tree, and his eyes closed. I felt them coming, he said, nearly whispering. I didn't know what it was, though. They feel like the taint on Sidene, and Sidene is always there, calling to me, singing to me. By the time I knew the difference, Lon was already shouting his warning. If I could only control it, I could have given warning before they were even close, but half the time when I actually manage to touch Sidene, I don't know what I am doing at all. The flow of it just sweeps me along. I could have given warning, though. So here's kind of our first glimpse of Rand really hating on himself. He's talked badly about himself before, but not like this. He's useless. He didn't do enough. If he had done something, it would have been terrible. And he beats himself up as much as if he had actually pulled the mountains down on top of them. And, you know, RJ really understands how distress, mental strain and distress and frustration with oneself leads a person to want to beat themselves up for stuff, even stuff that if you take a moment to think logically... It'd be like, Rand, yo, you barely know what you're doing, and just the fact that you managed to light the trees on fire and send the power somewhere, instead of pulling the mountain down on top of us or burning yourself out or anything else, was actually pretty good, considering that you are not a trained channeler and you don't know what you're doing, and you technically only have a 25% chance of surviving this shit show of trying to teach yourself. So give yourself a break. When you're under a mental strain and you expect so much of yourself and you're just generally hard on yourself, because Rand is someone who is generally hard on himself, I don't know that people who are hard on themselves are necessarily always prone to depression or if it's a symptom of people who are depressed that they are hard on themselves, but it is kind of a trait of Rand that makes me feel like he has all the building blocks for mental illness. But it's like, person can be so much more patient with themselves when things are going well. I think Rand was probably a lot kinder to himself during a plentiful summer in a safe pasture, and I feel like Rand punishing himself now when he's under strain and feeling like everything that he did was wrong or not enough is so authentic. I, it's like, I'm not doing enough right now, you know? I'm not getting content up on my YouTube channel. I'm not learning how to edit videos. I keep having to move it to next week, move it to next week, and it's like, there's this sense of, I'm useless, I'm failing, you know, I'm supposed to get this channel going and be making lots of content and doing all kinds of stuff, and it's like, I'm supposed to do that because I'm supposed to get to a point where I can make decent money, and maybe someday my wife can stop working and go to school, and so on and so on. And rather than just being like, whoa, Morgan, slow your roll. Your dad has cancer, 
and you're still making content for your podcast and you're doing the best that you can and it's not your job to rescue your wife and make it so that she never has to work again. She can take care of herself. She's a big girl. And also, you want to make YouTube content about the Wheel of Time to supplement your podcast. Do you really fucking think that you're going to be able to even feed yourself on that, let alone feed two people? Get fucking real, you know? But when you're in a shitty place situationally and it weighs on you mentally, you turn that on yourself and you weaponize it against yourself because you're just dissatisfied with where you are and you feel like you should have done more to change it, even though you have very little control over what's going on. Heron is also feeling a sense of responsibility because the wolves were trying to tell him about the attack, and so he tells Rand they didn't need his help while also thinking to himself, Rand can't take responsibility for not knowing because really, if I had been responsible and not pushing the wolves out of my head, we would have known long before the Shadow Spawn got close enough for him, Moraine, or Lawn to sense, and that's on me. So, Moraine shows up to heal everybody. She fixes up Perrin, and Min's like, nah, I'm all good, I've just got a bruise and you're fucking tired. And then she asks Rand if he needs healing, and because he's all stubborn and contrary and being a shithead, she is like, tells him the obvious of even Nyx from Trolloc and Myrtle Blades can be deadly because... Otherwise, who knows? He could probably keep it to himself because he's a dumbass. And it says, Perrin noticed something for the first time. Rand, your coat is wet. Rand pulled his right hand from under his coat, a hand covered in blood. Not a murderal, he said absently, peering at his hand. Not even a trollic. The wound I took at Falma broke open. Moraine hissed and jerked her arm free from Lawn, half fell to her knees beside Rand. Pulling back the side of his coat, she studied his wound. Perrin could not see it, for her head was in the way, but the smell of blood was stronger now. Moraine's hands moved and Rand grimaced in pain. The blood of the dragon reborn on the rocks of Shale Ghoul will free mankind from the shadow. Isn't that what the prophecies of the dragon say? Who told you that? Moraine said sharply. If you could get me to Shale Ghoul now, Rand said drowsily, by Waygate or Portalstone there could be an end to it. No more dying. No more dreams. No more. If it were as simple as that, Moraine said grimly, I would, one way or another. But not all in the Carithan cycle can be taken at its face. For everything it says straight out, there are ten that could mean a hundred different things. Do not think you know anything at all of what must be, even if someone has told you the whole of the prophecies. She paused as if gathering strength. Her grip tightened on the Angriol, and her free hand slid along Rand's side as if it were not covered in blood. Brace yourself. Suddenly, Rand's eyes opened wide, and he sat straight up, gasping and staring and shivering. Perrin had thought when she healed him that it went on forever, but in moments she was easing Rand back against the oak. I've done as much as I can, she said faintly. As much as I can. You must be careful. It could break open again. As her voice trailed off, she fell. Rand caught her, but Lon was there in an instant to scoop her up. As the warder did so, a look passed across his face, a look as close to tenderness as Perrin ever expected to see from Lon. Exhausted, the warder said. She's cared for everyone else, but there's no one to take her fatigue. I will put her to bed. There's Rand, Min said slowly, but the warder shook his head. It isn't that I do not think you would try, sheepherder, he said, but you know so little you might as soon kill her as help her. That's right, Rand said bitterly. I'm not to be trusted. Loose Theron Kinslayer killed everyone close to him. Maybe I'll do the same before I am done. Pull yourself together, sheepherder. 
Lon said harshly. The whole world rides on your shoulders. Remember you're a man and do what needs to be done. Rand looked up at the warder and surprisingly all of his bitterness seemed to be gone. I will fight the best I can, he said, because there's no one else and it has to be done and the duty is mine. I'll fight, but I do not have to like what I've become. That's just full of self-loathing right there. Because it's not just that he does not have to like what he has become, he does not like what he's become. He's full of self-loathing and self-pity. He's gross and doomed to do terrible things. And as someone who was always a little bit anxious and a little bit sad, but still a really sweet guy who liked himself well enough, even if he talked shit to himself, he wasn't someone who hated himself by any means. He had a relatively decent self-image, at least that was always my impression. And to have him get to the point of just being like, I'm useless, and I can't be trusted, and I don't like what I am now, is just fucking sad. It's really sad. After Rand runs away, we basically spend the rest of the book chasing him, and we only check in with him a handful of times until the end, when he is battling Balol for a short period of time while they're fencing in front of Calendar before Maureen Bale fires him, and then Ashamael for the fun chase through the Stone of Tear. So the best bit of text I found with Rand's inner narrative where he sounds relatively sane, because he sounds relatively sort of kind of sane a little bit during that last scene where he's fighting the Forsaken in Tear, and most of the rest of the time when we check in with him, he doesn't sound real great. Um, so the sanest I find him is in Chapter 9. He's been bale-firing dark hounds, and it says, the one power pulsed in him, and his stomach twisted with the dark one's taint on Sidene, wanted to empty itself. Sweat beaded on his face despite the cold night wind, and his mouth tasted full of sickness. He wanted to lie down and die. He wanted Nynaeve to give him some of her medicines, or Moraine to heal him, or something, anything, to stop the sick feeling that was suffocating him. But Sidene flooded him with life, too. Life and energy and awareness larded through the illness. Life without Sidene was a pale copy. Anything else was a wan imitation. But they can find me if I hold on. Track me. Find me. I have to reach Tyr. I'll find out there. If I am the dragon, there will be an end to it. And if I am not, if it's all a lie, there will be an end to that, too. An end. So, even though I felt like this was about the sanest bit of text I could get, there's a lot of manic fervor in those thoughts. And we're getting here that Rand wants to die. We never hear actively suicidal thoughts from Rand, but RJ explores suicide a lot throughout the series from different perspectives. He explores it from a cultural perspective where it's considered the honorable thing to do. He explores it from a logic perspective where it's the sensible thing to do because it would be wiser to do it than let Samarash have you, for instance. And I always appreciate Jordan's nuanced and non-judgmental examination because suicide is tragic, but exactly how tragic it is depends on circumstances. And I like that RJ looks at situations that call for it because I'm a realist. I was very glad that I lived in one of the only death-with-dignity states when I got my cancer diagnosis before I knew that I was going to live. Since I was a young person, I felt very powerfully about assisted suicide and how important it is to give someone who is suffering from a terminal illness the right to not actually have to suffer until the end. 
because there are circumstances where ending your life on your own terms is logical, and so I like that R.J. looks at that through a lens of common sense. But Rand doesn't spend a lot of time ever really thinking about it. When he does think about ending his life, it's generally more vague, and I feel like any suicidal thoughts that he would get would be once Luce Theron starts thinking them, because he's the crazy one. Rand's not the one really crazy, it's Luce Theron who's crazy. Luce Theron is the one moaning about his dead Ilyena, and Luce Theron's the one who's got the really dark thoughts and the really fucked up ideas and who thinks really insane shit. Rand's just fine. And while that's laughable, and it really is some great writing and subtle dark humor to have the crazy man talk to you about the crazy man in his head as a way of trying to make himself look saner, since something of Luce Theron is real, and he was a lot older than Rand, and honestly experienced and saw a lot more horrible shit than Rand did, he fought a lot longer and he saw a lot more. If you read any of the stuff about the horrible things that happened in the Age of Legends or just the little tidbits you get throughout the series, yeah, he saw fucking horrible shit. And there comes to be a divergence in Rand where, in order to tell himself that he's sane, he puts everything on this other in his mind who's the crazy one. And having that traumatized being shouting in his head and hearing Luce Theron's thoughts... I'm imagining that LTT, because he wants to die so much, thinks about suicide. And we might not be shown those specific thoughts on the page. Maybe that was not something RJ wanted to explore, but maybe there's subtext there. That Luce Theron is thinking about killing himself while Rand is thinking about his duty. And later on, he has to promise Luce Theron that they can die in order to get any cooperation out of him, when they get to the point where Rand is struggling with Luce Theron for control of his body and his, you know, very existence, he has to promise. Rand's like, yeah, but we have to do this job first, and then we can die. And there's this point, I think it's in Book 11, where Rand is thinking that there is a way that he could live, thinking of the answers from the Eelfin about if you would live, you must die, and Luce Theron freaks out and starts yelling in his head, you promised, you promised we could die. So you don't ever get articulated from Rand, and you never have it translated to you through him from Luce Theron, actual suicidal ideations, but you do get wanting to die. And there are a lot of people who never actively think about suicide, but do want to die. And even as early as the Dragon Reborn, Rand wants to die because he wants it to be over, and honestly, it's an exhaustion thing. He thinks about his impending death a little further down the line, and he's just like, it'll be a relief because I'm so tired. Asmodian asks him in the Shadow Rising, what do you think about this horrible fate you're faced with? And he's like, I feel tired. I feel tired. And even at this point in The Dragon Reborn, he's like, if it's over, then at least it's over. I'll no longer be taunted. I'll no longer have my sleep fucked with. I'll no longer be in this state of suspension and not knowing, because the uncertainty of it all also adds to his strain. I think one of the reasons why Rand is not so crazy sounding in The Shadow Rising is because there isn't so much uncertainty and he has more control over his life. Right now he's just spinning out of control. Seth from Watt Spoilers was saying recently that it was RJ's intention that Rand would be pretty insane pretty early on, 
and that people just keep giving him the benefit of the doubt and say, no, Rand's fine. It's not that he's crazy, you know, not yet, not yet. That's just strain. That's something else. But no, RJ wrote him specifically to be crazy. If Rand's not crazy, then you have to dismiss the borderline psychotic ideation and manic behavior he displays in The Dragon Reborn as being one of the many inconsistencies that exist in this book. But I just don't find it inconsistent. Mental illness can be episodic, so the fact that he's doing so much better at the beginning of book four isn't relevant. How well you cope can depend on circumstances, and Rand is just in a better place at the beginning of The Shadow Rising and that seems to even out his mania or aid his ability to mask. But in book three, he's getting no sleep, and he's barely eating. Perrin mentions when he sees Rand coming back into the camp, before they all go to bed, that he's going straight to his hunt, and he thinks to himself another night when he's not going to eat, because he can't stand the way the Shinerans all stare at him. So he's not getting food, and he's not getting sleep, and he's jumping out of his own skin because he has to do something, Moraine's trotting out this bullshit of the pattern's gonna tell you what to do, and it's like, not really. He's just gonna get so fucking wound up that he's like, I've gotta do something, and he's not sleeping enough, and he's getting these crazy dreams, and so he's like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go for Kalidor, I don't know what else to do, I'm gonna just fucking do this. Archie lets us see how strained Rand is through Perrin's eyes before we ever get his fevered internal narrative. Rand leaves the hut after arguing all day with Moraine. Perrin follows him down the rock alley to the second little valley, and it says, Rand stood not far from the entrance, leaning against the rough trunk of a leather leaf, staring at the palms of his hands. Perrin knew that on each there was a heron branded into the flesh. Rand did not move when Perrin's boots scraped on stone. Suddenly Rand began to recite softly, never looking up from his hands. Twice and twice shall he be marked, twice to live and twice to die, once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true, once the dragon for remembrance loth, twice the dragon for the price he must pay. With a shudder he tucked his hands under his arms, but no dragons yet, he chuckled roughly, not yet. And a little further on, Rand's talking about duty. Because Perrin has said to him, Hey, do you ever wish you were still a shepherd? And it's like, duh, fuckface, of course. But Rand has a duty. It says, The Dark One is stirring. The last battle is coming, and the Dragon Reborn has to face the Dark One in the last battle, or the Shadow will cover everything. The Wheel of Time broken. Every age remade in the Dark One's image. There's only me. He began to laugh mirthlessly, his shoulders shaking. I have the duty because there isn't anybody else now, is there? Perrin shifted uneasily. The laughter had a raw edge that made his skin crawl. So, when it comes to mental illness, the insane laughter stereotype is a stereotype for a reason. Not all stereotypes are rooted in truth, obviously. Stereotypes can be propaganda, they can be invented and propagated. A stereotype can take a single innocuous thing and twist and distort it and create something utterly absurd. And then there are stereotypes that become stereotypes because they're based on something real. My wife said it took some time for her to get used to the fact that I laugh and cry at the same time because it's unnerving and there's not much that looks crazier than that. 
One of the most interesting things about being bipolar is that you can 100% feel two oppositional emotions at the same time, a phenomenon that I just learned is called mixed episodes. I can feel shredded with grief and completely happy and content at exactly the same time. I can be genuinely incredibly amused and full of horror and pain at the same time. And it's funny. It's really funny. And, you know, you laugh because it's actually hilarious and you cry because it hurts and because it's fucking insane and you know it. And it's funny. I would think that this issue with mixed episodes and oppositional emotions would be very common among male channelers who are beginning to struggle with their sanity, at least according to observations that Perrin makes later. He remarks in his internal narrative that certain male channelers constantly fluctuate in the way that their mood smells, and he's thinking, how can someone's mood change that quickly? That's not normal. And it's like, well, no, it's not normal, but it's totally a thing. And yeah, it's fucking exhausting and a little bit nuts. I feel like RJ uses the taint on Sidene to build upon Rand's foundational mental health issues. It's a really good device for that to move him along. I feel like Rand came to the game with issues of anxiety and depression. I think he was kind of a sad boy, and I think he's an anxious boy. And that's who we get to begin with. And then he's a traumatized boy. And so we get all of that through the first book. And then he starts to use Saidine. And hand in hand with that comes the knowledge of what that means and the weight that that causes the stress and pressure. And over the course of book two, between channeling and the increase of trauma and that strain, because now he's got heavy responsibility in more ways than one, RJ has moved him on into the mood disorder stage. Then RJ builds on that for a bit before he gets Rand to the point where he starts hearing voices. And I feel like book three Rand is more representative of bipolar one disorder because of his psychosis, but I can't say for sure. The difference between Bipolar 1 and Bipolar 2 is that with Bipolar 1, you have to have had some kind of a psychotic episode, so it's considered more severe than Bipolar 2 disorder, which is what I have. And because I've never had a psychotic episode, I can't say for sure that that is exactly a perfect parallel for what is going on with Rand. But while I've never had a psychotic episode, I may have come close, in the sense that during the fall and winter of 2014 into 2015, I had a really bad depressive episode. And because of the mixed episodes and getting depressed, especially if my mood is amped up or whatever, or if my thought processes get a little fucked up or there's anxiety involved, then there can be a bit of manic ideation in it. And that was kind of what happened. I had a lot of shit come calling that year, and I wasn't getting enough sleep. It was the last year of my previous marriage, and one of the end factors is that my ex was not doing what he needed to do to get a job closer to where we lived, and so I was on the hook to drive him multiple nights a week when I needed to be sleeping, and he could have gotten another job, but he was dragging his feet because he didn't want to leave his comfort zone, and I was telling him, you need to do this, this is literally fucking killing me, and thinking about it now and thinking about how slippery my thought processes were getting and I can't remember really what was happening with my thoughts except that they were just rapid and scary and it was scary because they seemed like they were out of control 
and I felt like I was back in high school almost. I felt like I, I felt more like I had ever felt before I had been medicated, basically. It was really hearkening back to a time when I was still having a lot of rapid and constant mixed episodes. And I think that even though I didn't actually have a psychotic episode that year, I think I brushed it. And I think that part of that was just not getting enough sleep. It was a bad, bad year. And, you know, I've never been the same since. I'm a lot better than I was. Even just over the course of a year, I improved. And I ended up leaving my marriage and finding my wife. But I'm not nearly as emotionally stable now as I was before that year. I had a period of seven or eight years where I felt really normal. And I'd have my moments, but for the most part, I was on a really good drug combination and I felt really normal. And I had many days where I didn't think about being bipolar. Like, it was so well regulated that it wasn't really a problem. And then after that year, I've never been as stable since. And enough time has gone by that it stopped being so tragic. It was tragic for a long time. I was like, how can this be my new normal? I thought this part of my life was done. But you get used to anything, and funnily enough, the last several years have been the best of my life. And who could say that about the Trump administration? But because I met my wife, and not just meeting my wife, but the fact that I was willing to do terrifying things, make terrifying life changes, and leap out into the unknown to be with her, and I think part of the reason that I was willing to do that was the fact that enough stuff had happened to me psychologically, particularly because of that year, that I felt like I had very little left to lose. And so because of my relationship with my wife and the fact that I'm actually in a really good place situationally as far as the stability of my life, I'm doing better than I ever have been. And my ability to cope is a lot better, even though I'm definitely not nearly as mentally stable as I was 10 years ago. And I don't know if maybe part of that was that I was just permanently damaged from not getting enough sleep. The glimpses that we get into Rand's head throughout the rest of the book are very telling as to where he is. And it's not a good place. He's slipping. As he's camping on his way to Tyr in the chapter of the first ship as Matt is leaving Tarvalon, you get this bit where he's sitting playing his flute while he's cooking a rabbit over the fire. And it says, Rose of the Morning was one of the tunes he had played at those weddings. How many days ago was that? Were there really so many, or did I imagine it? Every woman in the village deciding to marry at once? What was its name? Am I going mad already? Sweat beaded on his face, but he played on, barely loud enough to be heard, staring into the fire. Moraine had told him he was Taviran. Everyone said he was Taviran. Maybe he really was. People like that changed things around them. A Taviran might have caused all those weddings, but that was too close to something he did not want to think about. They say I'm the dragon reborn, too. They all say it. The living say it and the dead. That doesn't make it true. I had to let them proclaim me duty. I had no choice, but that does not make it true. He could not seem to stop playing that one tune. It made him think of Egwene. He had thought once that he would marry Egwene. A long time ago, that seemed. That was gone now. She had come in his dreams, though. It might have been her. Her face. It was her face. Only there had been so many faces. Faces he knew. Tam and his mother and Matt and Perrin, all trying to kill him. 
It had not really been them, of course, only their faces on Shadowspawn. He thought it had not really been them. Even in his dreams it seemed the Shadowspawn walked. Were they only dreams? Some dreams were real, he knew, and others were only dreams, nightmares, or hopes. But how to tell the difference? And we know that he's the victim of some major forsaken fuckery here, whether it's a Shamael or Balal or both trying to get him to tear. The Forsaken are fucking with everybody's dreams throughout the course of this book. Then we drop in on Rand again, in the scene where he kills all of the dark friends with his fire sword, the merchant, and her guard. She's like, this is a great place to camp, can we join you? And he's like, oh yeah, sure, shop, and cuts her head off and everybody else's, and then uses the power to line them all up to kneel before him. He's like, well, if I'm the dragon reborn, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Which shows that the boy's not quite right. And in later books, as he's got his list going, where he beats himself up for all the women who have died, he adds this dark friend woman to the list. And I think that's a retcon. And I'm not normally against retconning. A retcon is just an edit you can't perfectly refine because the story that you're writing is being published in a series. So rather than being able to smooth the earlier part of the story to have absolute perfect harmony with what's written later... You just do your best and hope your audience knows that a little bit of retconning is a beautiful thing, but not when it's for a device that I hate, and I hate the list. I don't think that RJ had yet decided when he was writing The Dragon Reborn that we will know that Rand is so far gone the world will be better off without him once he's decided it's okay to kill women. But later on down the line, someone must have pointed out to him or he must have realized, yo, Rand kills a woman in The Dragon Reborn and doesn't think twice about it. And since the story is published in volumes, he can't do a quick edit and change the merchant into a man. And I'm guessing at the point the inconsistency was discovered, he had already committed to this heavy-handed device of the one line Rand won't cross is killing women. Oh no, he's crossed that line. We're screwed. So he retcons it to put the dark friend merchant on his list. And I hate it. If he had to keep the list and all the ensuing bullshit, I'd prefer that Rand struggle with the memory of killing the merchant and determine that it had to be a dream or something, like having him refuse to acknowledge her reality because he would never do that or that couldn't have been real would be better. It would harken back to his mental state and his lack of sleep um, and kind of be an acknowledgement of everything that he went to, through in The Dragon Reborn, and it seems realer than just putting her on the list all of a sudden, especially considering how quickly he chops off her head. Um, I think that basically anything but having her pop up on the list would be better. You don't get to see inside Rand's head too often throughout The Dragon Reborn. Even in the end when the stone is falling, you just peek in here and there, um, where he's sword-fighting Balal or chasing after Ishamael, but throughout... His mental state is pretty nutty. And then he draws Kalendor. And once he draws Kalendor, RJ just brilliantly foreshadows that this tool that is supposed to be a harbinger of the dragon and his greatest asset, because the Carithan cycle doesn't talk about the Chodan call as far as we know. So Kalendor is the Sa'angrial, the tool, you know, who pulls it out, will follow after and it is actually the ultimate magnifier of the crazy. And so even though him holding the sword pulled from the stone lets everybody know, oh shit, this dude's the dragon, the sword has something wrong with it. 
and RJ foreshadows it really well as Rand's fighting Ishamael and chasing after him. It says, The one power raged inside him till he barely knew himself, till he barely was himself, till what was himself almost did not exist. His precarious stability teetered. To either side lay the endless fall, obliteration by the power that coursed through him into the sword. Only in the dance along the razor's sharp edge was there even an uncertain safety. Kalandor shone in his fist until it seemed he carried the sun. Dimly within him, fluttering like a candle flame in a storm, was the surety that holding Kalandor he could do anything. Anything. That is pure mania. He can do anything. He can heal a dead girl. He can destroy an entire Shan-Chan army and never be defeated, and nothing will ever go wrong. Because with Kalandor, he can do anything. It's harder for me to identify with Rand's mental illness once it evolves past a mood disorder. I, thank Christ, don't know what it's like to hear voices in my head. And you know, that's not to engage in ableism or make it sound like, oh, gross, schizophrenia. I just know that it's no joke and that it's difficult to treat, and that meds don't work a lot of the time, and it's hard enough to deal with bipolar disorder. So, yeah, I am thankful that I only have to shoulder my own type of crazy, and I can't imagine having Rand's responsibility along with a mental illness, because it would crush me. I'm always impressed with the simplicity in the writing of having such an ordinary person, because Rand is a relatively ordinary person. He's extraordinary in many ways as well, but there is something extraordinary in the ordinary often, and putting him in a position where he just grows to hate himself and punish himself because he feels like he's just dirty and wrong and broken and useless and worthless and not worth loving, and he feels like everything he does is wrong and that he hurts people. And it's like, I don't know if I've ever hated myself, at least not once I got out of middle school. I grew out of it. But while I know that beating oneself up is not unique to having a mental illness, it's something I have never gotten past. I don't do it all the time anymore. I'm fairly good at not doing it most of the time. But let things in my life go a bit shitty, like they're going right now. My father has cancer, and his situation is up in the air and my wife and I are kind of in limbo trying to figure out what our future is going to be as he is ailing. And even if his cancer is treatable, he might not survive chemo. So I don't know what's going to happen with my future, and the side effects of the chemo have been really alarming. It's been causing him to have some mental issues, and it's been really fucked. And with that situational pressure, I can't tell you all the ways that my internal narrative has been telling me that I am a bad daughter that I'm failing at all of the endeavors that I've been planning on taking on. You know, I'm not being a good podcaster lately. I haven't been getting my Patreon out. I've been bad at achieving my goals. All of that kind of stuff, because a strain has come upon my life. And all of a sudden, it's like, let it highlight all the ways in which I'm not good enough. And I think that that's just a reaction to the strain and a feeling like I should cope better. I should be able to be stronger, you know, I should somehow be able to shoulder all of this and more and be better and faster and more. And when you can't, you know, it's like normally, normally when I don't achieve all my goals, it's kind of like, well, okay. 
But it's like, add in that external strain, let your life go to shit, and all of a sudden, every little thing is something that you did wrong. And I have the logic to think my way past that. But Rand is just a kid, and he's angry and scared and sad, and all of these bills are coming due at once. And you know, at the age that he is, and in the place that he is, you know, I know that I'm not a bad daughter, necessarily, you know. I could be better. I definitely could be worse. I know that I'm not a bad podcaster. Am I bad at YouTube? Yeah. But I can get better. But for Rand, he has neither the will nor the capacity to reason past everything he tells himself that he's doing wrong, and why it should be better, because he just does not have that narrative for himself. He is the epitome of toxic masculinity in that sense. He's angry, and as much anger as he directs at Moraine and the Dark One and the world, he directs just as much at himself. And so, of course, he thinks that he's a bad dragon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Podcast of the Dragon. I've posted some links to some articles about bipolar disorder, specifically discussing rapid cycling and mixed episodes in the reference material channel in the Podcast of the Dragon Discord. Rand is such a challenging character. I love him even when he gets to the stage where I can no longer like him because I know I've had times in my life where I've been unlikable, and having an out-of-control mental illness was a huge part of that, so he really speaks to me. You can find me on Twitter at BorderGray, that's gray with an E. All of my links are down in the show notes, for email, for my Discord, for the Watt Trivia and Games Discord, which I highly recommend if you like to have any fun at all, and for the Watt Fandom and Calendar Discord if you love Wheel of Time content and you want more content creators. There's a link to my Patreon if you would like to support the show and have access to some really cool bonus content, and there is a link to Apple Podcasts if you could go and review my show, that would be amazing. If you know anyone who likes the Wheel of Time and might be interested in a different kind of podcast, please tell them about me. My music is by Kevin McLeod. I'm the Grey Warder, and I like to look on the bright side. If I were Rand, instead of saying all I managed to do was light some trees on fire, I'd say I lit some trees on fire to help you see the shadow spawn. This capacity to take some good out of bullshit is why I'm talented at writing resumes.